on Halftime, the world game with Carlos Alberto Diego from Fortiegos.com. And in the studio, Carlos Alberto Diego. Good afternoon, sir. How are they? Again, I've done this again. It's not half. It is Kevin Hillier, the great Kevin Hillier. He does such a great job. On this uh, football hour, whenever I'm on here with him. Uh, well, I hope so. And I think this one's going to be a good one too. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, <laughs> un- unfortunately, some we're going to start with the stuff that probably isn't the best uh, advertisement for uh, uh, the game and for uh, the coverage of the game. Yeah, look, I, I was kind of hoping to come in and talk about and gush over Ange Postacoglu becoming the, uh, you know, being awarded the Asian Coach of the Year and the Socceroos, the, the National Team of the Year in Asia and uh, and all the good stuff that's happening uh, with Melbourne City at the moment, Melbourne Victory, and, uh, you know, and also talk about the great Joe Marsden who passed away oh, in the I last 24 that. hours. Yeah, what, what a legendary player. Yeah. People talk about Craig Johnston and, and Eddie Krenchvich going to Europe all those years ago, trailblazers. But Joe was the first yeah. back in then. I'll never forget, 1954 was when the Doggies last won the grand final. <laughs> oh, actually, the only time they won the grand final. Correct. And he played in the FA Cup uh, that uh, that year for Preston North End against West Brom. So, uh, you know, celebrate the life of Joe Marsden, loved by many, many more people. That's what I wanted to talk about. Yeah. But we unfortunately... Will, we will, we yeah. will get to that. Yeah. But, um, and this kind of blew up this morning uh, as a result of an article that was in the Herald Sun yesterday that the boys in the Morning Glory uh, uh, decided that they'd follow up this morning. And it, it sort of... It, uh, f- bad pun it flared yeah. um so <laughs> let, let's have a listen to uh, Susie o'brien uh, she's talking here with the boys from the morning glory Susie, how many games of a league games have you we're running out of time how many a league games have you been to this year well I've ne- i haven't been to any so how I do you how do you know how do you know how do you know that it makes me not want to go so, and that's part of the bigger problem well, well Why would people want to go when you've got people setting off flares you've got people who are um being abusive to other fans from other clubs in the street. They were so intimidated in Melbourne recently that Sydney fans couldn't even what? leave the pub. I mean, it's S- just, it makes the game look Susie, bad. a lot of people do want to... A lot of people... Susie... A lot of people do want to go. You've got 40, 45. So do you want to apologise to A-League fans who have never done anything wrong in their lives for calling them and punt and, and pitching them in with a whole lot of others uh, as a suburban terrorist? Do, I said those who are banned with a suburban terrorist, and I said that they shouldn't. People shouldn't be standing up for them. People should be saying good riddance because that's not the kind of people we want as fans at our Australian sporting matches. That's, That's true. That's true. We do not want them. No, no, we don't want, no, no, we don't want that. Why is everyone standing up for them? I just don't get it. There might be something that I'm completely just, missing. Just, hey, so just quickly, just quickly to 150 flares. Is that, where did you get that no. data from? Oh, that's been widely reported. Widely reported? Okay. That's been widely reported. Radio, there you go. That's uh, Susie O'Brien from the Herald Sun speaking with the, the two Andys this morning and defending her article, which appeared yesterday. It'll be online if you want to have a read of it. But she did refer to um, the people who have thrown out and have been banned as uh, suburban terrorists, and she did say there was 150 flares that have gone off in 12 games, I think. Is that... Uh, no, eight games, eight, 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 games, eight, eight rounds. Yeah, so they're they're wholesale fly, flying around uh, the games. Uh, it seems like four or five or well, six must, per game. I don't, know, I don't know the maths all that well, but apparently, well, there must there must have been a lot in the other in the seven games I haven't been to yeah. <laughs> because there wasn't any the That's night a, I was I know, there. I know, and uh, and I did uh, do a little bit of research, and there was a a Facebook. Uh, um, entry by the Herald Sun, I'm not sure when it was, maybe a couple of weeks ago, saying there was 145 flares in Melbourne. 
<laughs> in Melbourne games exclusively. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, look, ultimately, I had, had, as I said last week, and I have, apparently, I, from what people have told me, uh, there's been a little bit of talk back on what I said. And what I said last week was, I don't take any notice. I think irrelevant are people who are in the media and decide to write opinion pieces about the game of football and they've never gone to a game of football. Mm. It's just the minute I heard that with Andy Barr, I, I just chuckled then. Because I thought, okay, well, she's coming on to defend her article. She must have some information that I need to know about. Because obviously, you know, you don't, you don't get on live radio if you absolutely are sure of the information. You've got the data, you've got the evidence, and you're going to really hit the host with it, you know, when he asks you the hard questions. But she hasn't gone to an A-League game ever. Ever. Or at least, from what I understand, at least this season when she's... Well, she said her defence was that uh, the behaviour that is reported that happens at games has put her off wanting to go to games. So ask the question about... Is it dangerous at a game rather than writing an article about how dangerous it is if you've not been? You understand? There's a difference. Yeah, no, no, I understand. Uh, and, the, and the thing is, I was listening to Ian Robson today with Kevin Bartlett. The difference between Kevin Bartlett and Susie O'Brien is that Kevin Bartlett was asking the questions of Ian Robson. Yep. Asking the questions the very, very hard way, really tested him about his responses, but he was asking the questions because he wanted to know what was the reality. What we were getting from Susie O'Brien was an opinion piece as if she had been to games and seen this and actually, and actually espoused what was going on, yep. the reality of it. And then when the question was asked, well, the, the, the quote about 150 flares being lit in the game so far this season, uh, where'd you get that figure from? Well, it's been widely reported. Well, look, I must be going crazy because I read everything to do with football you know, uh, not only in Australia, but across the world yep. every week. And I'm one of the millions of football followers that do that. And you heard Andy Marr this morning. He said, oh, really? And he reads even more than me. <laughs> he makes a full-time living out of this. So, you know, it's just ridiculous commentary. And that's why anyone with no credibility, I take no notice about. Uh, she's a blogger. With all due respect, or with all due disrespect, she's a blogger. <laughs> Right, yeah. uh, she's a what, what they call a social commentator. Yep. Uh, for me, a social commentator is uh, is a, is a mum, a hysterical mum at a town hall meeting. That's what a social commentator is. So for me, uh, it's irrelevant. That's irrelevant. Alan Jones is irrelevant. He's a shock jock who's very very good at getting a reaction. He's a professional. He's become a millionaire yeah, doing well, that. Rebecca true. Wilson's got a history of writing what she does. We've talked no credibility. So I don't I, it's really irrelevant that is. What's more relevant to me is a response of the FFA. Right. That's what really really I don't understand. Uh, David Gallup came back from India uh, early this week and he held a press conference when he was announced he was having a press conference I thought Great. He's going to come out and he's going to galvanise everyone by condemning what's been written, the portrayal in the media of A-League fans. He's going to condemn that and he's going to address the appeals process for those who have been banned and we're going to move on as a stronger group. It didn't happen. It just didn't happen. He missed a great opportunity yesterday. In fact, when uh, the how, question... How could he possibly have missed that? I, I'm, not, I'm not sure what advice they're getting. I, you know... I'm a bit different from a lot of people who slam the FFA. I have an understanding about how difficult it is to run the game in this country with all the different, with the few resources they have and all the different 
uh, priorities they have from yep. from the A League to the W League to the national teams to you know participation uh, growth at the at the bottom level. It's a and, huge, bigger and, than any other sport. And the factions that are involved yeah. in that, and have, having to yeah having to navigate all that. Yep. I have a, a, a I have a great appreciation of what they've got to go through. But on this issue here, there's been a real absence of leadership. Uh, and, and really defending the game and its supporters, and uh, and you know Susie O'Brien this morning in that in that interview just couldn't believe the fact that the supporters felt they were important enough to be addressed properly, to to, to have this issue addressed. I mean, you know, we talk about the game being as one, the unity of the football game, and it is very different from other sports in that respect. The fans are very, very important. They're not the most important thing, but they're very, very important oh, with the players. Integral part. Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned yourself uh, in the previous segment that you, that you go to games and you don't, you know, you just love it with your son. And I, that's what yeah. I get all the time from all my friends who aren't football and, people and necessarily. Can, and can I point out, I'm not sitting in the press box or yeah. sitting in there. I'm sitting in, not in, not in the, the, the Northern Terrace or anything, but I'm sitting in with other people who dust and Fletcher was about four rows from me the other yep. night when I went, and there's people everywhere from all different persuasions. There, I didn't feel, I didn't feel. Like they love once. it. They love it. And this is the thing. So, the, what what these people write is irrelevant, but our response to it was very poor. Yeah, I very poor. That. And uh, and you know, even with the appeals process, you know, the, the sort of jumping around on that topic, saying we've always had an appeals process, but we'll refine it now. Well, you know. Part of the appeals process is the the people who are going to, uh, you know, um, approach the FFA about their bans. Well, they're not apparently they're not. From my, my understanding, is they're not allowed to have a, be a witness or see the evidence that was used to ban them in the first place. Isn't it CCTV? Well, I'm not sure. Look, I don't know how they make these decisions. I'm sure some of it's pretty clear cut. Uh, police might be attacked. There might be a brawl. It's pretty clear cut assault or whatever it may be. Yep. But other stuff may not be as clear cut and you're asking people to produce evidence. Well, they've got to be able to see why they were banned in the first place. Yep. And that's that natural justice we're talking about. If it's too much, so part of my gut feeling is that suddenly they're going down a path that opens up a bit of a Pandora's box. You might need a whole new department for this <laughs> and they don't have the resources. Yeah. And I understand that point of view. But if you're going to go down this path, we need to grow with the game. It's a unique game in the respect that you need to respect the fans. If you're going to respect the fans, you need to invest in that part of it too. And this might be part of it. So um, I, I'm just very disappointed with the FFA's responses. And I'm not one of these guys that attacks the FFA. In fact, I respect a lot of the people at the FFA. Uh, but I do know some people who aren't, haven't got a voice at the FFA at the moment who are very, very disappointed in the fact that we're not louder coming out and condemning and portraying the fans in the right way. OK, let's talk to Dion in uh, Noble Park North. G'day, Dion. G'day, guys. Uh, this thing frustrates me. Uh, for starters, David Gallup has got no idea what he's doing. If he tried to destroy rugby league, he'll do the same to soccer. Uh, secondly, I go to all sports, of cricket. I used to go to the days when uh, there would be hundreds getting thrown out, yet... No one published their names. Uh, they'll throw things during the one day as a test. Footy, you have the drunks. You have people falling out of uh, VIP boxes. Uh, soccer, I've been to a few games for my young kids. I haven't had any trouble. So I don't know what's happened. You know, these journalists are getting all these uh, uh, I, you know, flares. Come on. You can see the bloody flare. It's just getting... No, I don't, I'm, uh, Dion, I'm against the flares. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, anyone yeah. who brings a flare or lets a flare off... Get rid of them. I'm not. That, that's yep. not. Uh, if that happened in front of me and, uh, with my ten-year-old, I would be absolutely livid. Yep. Um, that that's not on. I, I I don't care if it. You know, used to happen back in the NSL days. 
Terrific. We're, we're past that now. Yeah, We've got to be past that. And I'm that. fully on board with the zero tolerance that the FFA uh, are, are, are espousing and they're, and, they're, um, and they're rolling out. I'm absolutely on board with that. Uh, unfortunately, with the zero tolerance, you're going to get situations where they're going to be wrong or it's not going to be accurate with what why a person's been banned. They need the right of appeal if they want to. Absolutely. Joseph Morabin. G'day, Joe. Uh, g'day. Um, I've got a, um, I'm not a great... Um, Australian soccer fan. I like the overseas, you know, like uh, Europe and the UK. But I'm more an Aussie rules fan, but I definitely think there's an agenda by News Limited to get soccer. And I've got a... And it doesn't surprise me. It's the way News Limited work. They distort, they lie, they censor about anything, politics, world events, and now sport. So I've got a suggestion for all the hundreds of thousands of soccer fans who were peeved about the way they're being portrayed, why don't they just boycott News Limited publications? I'm sure thousands of them buy their papers. Just stop buying them and boycott their advertisers. All right. Uh, it's your opinion, Joe. You're entitled to that. Uh, we will take a break and come back. Uh, more of the world game with Carlos Alberto Diego. We'll even talk about, you know, the game. Uh, Pete's in Heighton. G'day, Peter. How you going? Good. So I... What did you want yeah. to talk about? Yeah. Oh, look, you know, I just was listening to you, your discussion before about the the whole, you know, the, the issue with the players being banned and, and the fans kicking up, et cetera. And, um, you know, look, I agree that, um, you know, you, you should be talking from experience, um, you know, where, where at all possible, obviously, you know. But, but look, I guess just from my experience, you know, last year's grand final, um, I was in the the Fed Square region um, on the day of the game and, uh, you know, I was working at Beer Deluxe in Fed Square and um, as I do occasionally. And um, the Sydney FC uh, crew were there being hosted by Beer Deluxe for, you know, probably three hours leading up until they sort of marched down to the game. And um, honestly, the behaviour was absolutely disgraceful. Never seen anything like it. Um, on so many levels. And, and Peter, um, you know, yeah. the, the reason why you're different from someone like a Susie O'Brien, guess what? You saw it. Well, I was there. Yeah, that's right, mate. And, then, yeah. and the sport should listen to people like you because we're not saying at all that there's no, there's no issues. Oh, no. But just, just see it, experience it, um, have some knowledge of what could be going on, real knowledge, and the sport will listen to you, Peter. Absolutely. I agree. Good on you, Pete. Thanks for your call. Actually, Pete, we'll give you a $100 voucher from printrus.com.au. If you order before midday, you'll receive your printed products the next day on business cards, envelopes, and letterheads. Thanks for your call. David's in Werribee. Hi, Dave. G'day, guys. How are you? Good. Good, mate. That's good. Um, listen, I'm not a natural soccer supporter. I, uh, I'm an AFL supporter, but I started going to the soccer because my young son convinced me to go. And I feel more threatened going to the football, the, the AFL, and what I do going to the soccer. We sit in general admission right up near the north end, and I've never seen anything. It was good to hear that last caller, because it obviously happened, mm. and it's not all completely made up. But I think we, we've got to start asking, why is all this publicity about soccer when, from someone who goes to both games... The, the, the atmosphere of the AFL is a lot more threatening than the atmosphere of the soccer. The atmosphere of the soccer is very foreign to a lot of people and you don't understand when they're jumping up and down and carrying on and all the rest of it. But when you're in amongst it, it's not violent at all. It's not angry. It's just good fun. 
Yeah, it's exhausting to watch. <laughs> I know that much. <laughs> they work hard in the players sometimes. Yeah, Look, do. Dave, just on that point there, I never feel threatened at the AFL, ever. No, so I, 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 I love my I AFL, and I never feel threatened by the AFL and I, and, and, or at a game. So that, just to balance this out, uh, but again, David's experienced that. If you've experienced it and you've got an opinion, both sports have got to listen to you. Yep. Because it's got to be a comfortable place to go. It's got to be a place where families and kids, you've got to be proud about bringing your kid there. Mm. you know. And, that, and that's what's really, really important. So any of these issues should be listened to, but only from people who actually go and experience it. Thank you, David. Uh, Rob's in Strathmore. Hi, Rob. Yeah, good day, boys. I just wanted to comment on Susie O'Brien's comments in that article mm-hmm. about calling people suburban terrorists. Like, how does she get away with saying that? And under the current climate, I think it's one of the most despicable things you could say about anybody. I think it's very inflammatory and uh, and unnecessary, I would have thought, to have gone to that extreme. Yeah, I mean, it's ignorance, really, about the issue about around terrorism at the moment. Uh, we've got, you know, we've, we just had the Lint Cafe, you know, just seemed like yesterday, the issues there, and, of course, the issues in Paris a couple of weeks ago. And in this climate... Uh, the insensitivity, and from yeah. what I gather, Susie O'Neill's a, a mother. She's, you know, she's has a family, and uh, uh, so, sorry, Susie O'Brien. <laughs> I thought she was a swimmer, by the way, when I first heard the name, because I don't know any about anything about her riding. But uh, she, um, you know, I don't know why they feel they can just throw around the term terrorist so uh, so easily at this time. Uh, you know, the way the world is right now. Yep. Yep, I, I wrote a piece mm. about uh, the use of the word tragedy in sport. Yeah. And uh, uh, the, Philip Hughes was a tragedy. Mm. Uh, Collingwood being beaten by three points <laughs> is not a tragedy. Mm. It's it's the result of a match. It, it, there's there's certain words that I think, and I'm not, you know, I'm not politically correct and all that a lot of times, but you've, that is that is the use of a word. That word was used, that yep. expression that she used, was used on purpose to inflame people's opinions. And I that that doesn't sit well with me doesn't sit well with me at all. Good news for Melbourne Victory fans uh, is that uh, Barisha has re-signed with Victory for a further two seasons. Fantastic. He'll remain there until the end of the 2017-18 yeah. season at the least. What a perfect marriage between a club and a player. Barisha and the fans and Victory, uh, they're a winning team. Uh, they're setting up a culture there that, that, that's going to be ongoing uh, success for many years to come. They're a sort of club that could get you know two or three premierships in a row, go to Asia, do well there. And Barisha, as the as one of the talisman of the of the team, uh, you know, they it's money well spent. Whatever they've spent, whatever they've invested, it's a perfect perfect signing. Yeah, it is. Uh, Jason's in Moon. Good day, Jason. How are you, Jace? Good, thanks. Uh, just I wanted to say I went to my first game of uh, A League on. Saturday night with my son, and we left. We walked off down from the top deck about just under ten minutes to go to try and go and get my son a, a Melbourne Victory top, and found that there was about twenty odd police separating the Adelaide and the Victory uh, supporters, and we were unable to get through to the souvenir stand, and it was a little bit confronting. I mean, it wasn't overly concerning, but um, yeah, just a a little bit of a negative, I'd say. Yeah, Jason, it's interesting. Um, and again, you know, obviously the police or whoever organises the security around these games, they make their decision about how many police or whatever. But I did see a lot of social media. And again, this is not proof of, you know, that it was right or not. But a lot of social media saying there was a lot of over-policing in that respect. The, 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 the amount of police at the game was just completely, 
you know, almost exaggerated as far oh, as okay. the numbers. But look, but I wasn't there. So I'm not going to make a comment about that. I don't know whether that's right or wrong, but there was a lot of social media saying that there was way, way, way too many police there for what, what the uh, event was all about. Uh, Jason, I'll give you a Village Cinemas Gold Class Double Pass. So if, uh, that's a perfect Christmas gift for you. You can go along there, and once you've, once you've done gold, you don't ever go back, I'm telling <laughs> you. Adrian's in Lower Templestowe. Hi, Adrian. Yeah, g'day, guys. Look, uh, I've experienced overseas um, AFL, Dramas, soccer dramas, tennis dramas. I think we're quite blessed at the moment. Um, name or singling out people for doing something is very wrong. We actually got a chance to uh, put away all that sort of garbage quite easy. But in Europe, it's out of control, but in control. Um, you want to go to a soccer game, especially in Greece where I went, um, if you don't know where to go, you go up to someone and say, oh, I want to go watch the game. All they say to you, just don't go behind the goals. Sit on the wing... It's so family-orientated, you wouldn't believe it. Go behind the goals, there's probably 100 flares thrown. But the difference there is they can't stamp it out, but they have these special armed police that once they you throw something at the opposing fans or at them, they will single you out and beat the actual crap out of you. <laughs> amongst, amongst yourself, amongst yourself, you're fine. But, um, look, like here, um, I don't think... Look, no-one likes to see any of that, but... You just deal with the person that's done something wrong, but having to single out people or name-calling may totally wrong here. Fair enough. Good on you, Adrian. Thanks for your call. Um, uh, good question off the SMS. The point is, what happens if the police are not there? Okay. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, I don't think anyone's saying that you shouldn't have security there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but from what I gather, there was hundreds of police there the other night. Uh, look, I could be wrong with numbers, but that's what was being portrayed on social media. Did we need hundreds of police? I don't know. Yeah. I wasn't there... But uh, but it just seems a little bit over the top. Uh, John's in Mooney Ponds. G'day, John. Hi, guys. How are we? Good, mate. Good, thanks. Look, just oh, I didn't catch a couple of last callers, but I think there's something in regards to overkill with police numbers. Now, uh, from the minute you got off the train at Southern Cross to walking into the ground, it was just police everywhere. Um, we approached, me and my mate approached, and we only had one beer. We approached the police uh, uh, guys and just wanted to have a decent conversation with them and say, you know, why is it that there's so many numbers of police and, you know, and you know that maybe a little bit overkill. There was, you know, a couple of them through general comments such as, well, you know, you guys are the worst code in Australia when it comes to violence. Um, soccer, a lot of soccer support fans just look for trouble. Um, and that's when the, I kind of po- lost me. One guy... Mm. Was John, the police talking. actually said this to you? Yes, they did. Oh, OK. And one, you know, when you hear stuff like that, you kind of think, well, uh, you know, there's no... Um, we're going to have a um, preconceived uh, conversation here. And um, anyway, so he said, well, you know, that's all fine, but what annoys me is that if something happens to you, you know, we'll be the first ones to be blamed. And I said, look, I respect your work and all that, but... The amount of, of, of numbers of police that were there, and not just that, but I don't know, I don't know why. Maybe it was just my perception, but it made the whole night very unenjoyable. The attitude on the police, you know, they just they walked around like like they owned the joint. I know it's putting it really simple and really basic, but that's just kind of how it came across. Uh, All right, good on you, John. Thanks for your call. Appreciate it. But that actually does sound that there's a real divide. Doesn't it? I mean, if that's if that's the attitude, uh, and uh, and there's 
what as John just described it this uh, this preconceived idea of what any football crowd's all about. There's a real divide and there's a real problem to be solved there. It seems like it's a, it might be a cultural thing amongst the police also that they uh, maybe label football fans uh, that way. I'm not saying they don't have a justification, but I, I go to the football all the time. <laughs> this yeah. just happens in a place where I don't see it. Yeah, I do. I'm you know, uh, it just. But I, you know, I did mention last week that I have. I did go to the game uh, game when Melbourne City first played victory uh, in the first derby many years ago, uh, and uh, City actually ended up winning that game, and they actually moved the. City fans out first. Everyone else left the stadium and there was only the Victory fans behind the goals. The attitude of the Victory fans then towards the police, openly. There was no hiding of faces. It was disgraceful. Oh, okay. And so I'm not going to apologise for that. That's what I saw. But I've been to many, many games since then and I've not seen anything. And I sit amongst the crowd. I don't work on match day. Yep. Uh, I sit amongst the crowd. Uh, I, I copped a... a fair whack in the, uh, in the chops um, during the racing carnival when I, I mentioned how well behaved after the cup day, I said mm. how well behaved everybody was and, and from where I sat and that mm. was in the back of the grandstand doing the broadcast for the six hours, I didn't see anything mm. I got absolutely <laughs> poleaxed on the, on the uh, SMS machine because people had seen you know, drunks having fights up the other yep. end of the straight and all that sort of stuff, well you can only, you can yep. only talk about what you see yep. but at least I was actually at the bloody track <laughs> um, uh, Danny's in Hillside. Go, Danny. Hello, boys. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Um, we're Victory members. We're a family of four. We travel interstate, watch the Victory over 10 years. We've never, ever felt threatened or ever been attacked. Um, last Saturday, uh, Eddie had our first time in 10 years, sitting on the, um, sitting on the east end, um, policemen in every aisle and right at the fence facing the crowd, with their hands on their guns and watching the crowd, made us first time in our history of watching um, Victory uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah, and, interesting. Yeah. And the amount of police that were there, it was a joke. Even police in, um, in vests, police vests. Mm. Yeah. Look, mate, uh, look. I hadn't heard the, I had. I must admit, yeah. I went to the Cup Eve game at Eddie Hatton. There was 25,000, yep. I think. It was 22,000 the other night. I think so. Night. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't remember even noticing more than a more than a handful of police mm. where I was and yep. going in and getting out and and being there that night. Don't remember that at all. Yeah, I'd like to know what the justification having that many police and also you know hands on guns and things like that. Well, yeah, you know, you'd like to hear from the police and, and what it is. You know, why would they would uh, well, like, increase the numbers that much? I know the Adelaide. Uh, Victory Derby has always been a you know hot derby. It's sort of a one of the first you know one of the original uh, rivalries. Yep. Um, so there might have been some history there. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I, I really respect the police. I really do. I think that they do a really great job. And obviously they're, they've they're frustrated here too. Yep. Uh, and maybe their job's been made difficult by you know some really outrageous behaviour sometimes. So, uh, but again, I, I haven't witnessed this. This is only anecdotal evidence that we're hearing from people exactly. at the moment. Uh, but some are saying that they've never seen a problem and they feel threatened by the police. And other people had that issue at Federation Square where you know mobs of fans might be a bit intimidating. So I think it's a bit of both. Uh, but look, you know, to think that you know. It's pitched warfare whenever you go to a football game in Australia. It just doesn't happen. No. It just does not happen no. that way. Well, let's talk about Ange Postacoglu and the, yeah. and the award he got. 
Yes, yeah, so amongst all this other stuff that's uh, been the noise this week, uh, also on the weekend it was an, uh, they had the uh, AFC uh, Awards uh, in India, and of course the Australians uh, were up for a, 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 up to five nominations for awards, which was a terrific uh, achievement yes. by the girls and the guys. And Masmo Luongo was uh, nominated for uh, International Player of the Year. Oh wow! Um, we also had, of course, the Socceroos as uh, National Team of the Year. Ange Postecoglou was nominated as um, the coach of the year in Asia so we had you know a lot of uh, a lot of our uh, a lot of things to celebrate really and uh, in the end uh, the, the team the national team was awarded the team of the year which was fantastic and of course with the winning of the Asian Cup I think that sort of was a no-brainer but then yep. uh, Ange Postacoglu uh, obviously coach of that team and done so well with this uh, transitioning the, the Socceroos from a team uh, after uh, Holger Osiek to uh, now, uh, obviously, a team that's vying for Russia 2018. He was uh, named a, a Asian Coach of the Year too, so that Good was that him. was fantastic. And and I, I couldn't help but think, you know, he was on the scrap heap, you know, six or seven years ago. You know, yeah, really, no. We saw the uh, Australian story a couple of weeks ago talking about how no one was. He was un, almost unemployable after he was uh, sort of. Uh, I think it was removed as the coach of the Joeys and the Young Socceroos. He had that that uh, infamous TV interview with, uh, you know, Craig Foster on SBS and he had to go to Greece and he came back and he really was unwanted. And uh, lucky enough to be able to find that spot there at Brisbane Lions, uh, Lions sorry, Brisbane Raw. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, just changed the whole culture there and, uh, and just went on from strength to strength from there. Went to victory, of course, became the soccer coach after that. He's just a winning coach now and I really feel for him because he's gone... He's, you know, he's, he's done it hard over the years. And uh, when you're at the, when you only know coaching and you're at the point where you don't know where your future lies and you turn it around in, you know, a, amazing fashion the way he has, you've got to really applaud the guy. Yep. Yep. Mm. No, well done. Um, Joe Marston. Now, you, you meant you talked about him a little at the start of the show, but for, for people who've come to the sport late and, and don't mm. know, I mean, we, we talk about, you know, Les Murray and all these people and Johnny Warren and all those people that, 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 Carved out the game, but th- this was this, this man was the one who did it first before anybody. Yeah, and uh, and of course, you know, the, the game itself. People in the game, with the historical view, would know who Joe Marsden is. But Joe Marsden was a was a painter and a lifesaver in Australia. He played for Leichhardt in uh, in Australia, uh, and again in those days in the fifties and the forties and fifties, football was just a hobby. You know, you'd be playing on parks yeah. around yep. the place. And uh, anyway, he was spotted somehow by a Preston North End uh, scout. And I don't know where he was spotted. Maybe the guy was on holidays here, maybe on the beach or something. Who knows? <laughs> but, uh, but they spotted Joe Marsden and uh, they offered him a trial there at Preston North End. And Preston North End in the 50s was a big club. And uh, he went over there in trial because it was a bit of a dream of his. And uh, he played in the reserves there for a long time, got his opportunity, and then they couldn't move him. He played 154 games wow. for Preston North End, played in an FA Cup in 1954. It was a losing FA Cup, unfortunately. They lost 3-2 to West Brom. Uh, but, you know, played 38 times for Australia, coached Australia. Just an absolute legend, way before the, the legend that we remember of Craig Johnston, for yep. example. Eddie, Eddie Krenchevich spent some time over in Belgium, was a big player over there. But... You talk about trailblazers, Joe was the first. But after that, it took decades for the next one, you know, in Craig Johnston to, to do what he's done. And I, I, was, uh, I was lucky enough to be at a PFA awards night. I think it was about 2009. And I was there, and it was one of these awards nights where only the players, some selected media were there. I, I sort of gate crashed 
gate crashed the whole thing. I was, so, so I, I was, right to tell him you were a waiter. Exactly right. I was right <laughs> down the back, and I was watching uh, when Joe was uh, introduced to the audience. There were players who are multi-millionaire. You know, today's players are just you know they've done everything in the game and have gone to World Cups and all sorts of things. And they, their response to Joe Marsden just saying a few words, you could have heard a, you could have heard a pin drop. And I and I and I reckon there was tears in some of the players' eyes. That's how much they revered this guy. And I remember Craig Johnston when referring to Joe as an inspiration to him because he was there on the night. Also, there were certainly tears from Craig Johnston. So that's how important this guy was to the game. And he did it all for you know ten pound a week or whatever yep. it was in those days. So yep. totally different. Mm. Uh, now the scheduling uh, and the uh, the unavailability of Amy Park means that we don't see any soccer in town for a while. Is that right? Yeah, I'm not really sure about that. Uh, I read that somewhere. Kev, yeah, I'm not, not really sure. I know that uh, certainly uh, Melbourne City and Melbourne Victory play a number of games away now. Yep. So it may be may well set. Been, you know, it may have been the reason why that's a, that's the case. Uh, but they're certainly City are playing Central Coast tomorrow night in uh, Gosford. And, of course, Victory are away to Phoenix on uh, on Set- Saturday. Saturday. So, yeah. So, uh, and from my listening to Ian Robson earlier on today, uh, they're, they're not around for about three weeks, I think. So it may well to be something to do with the actual stadium. Have City turned it around? You can't trust them to, to, to say that. Straight. <laughs> I knew they you were they play say they that. play really really well, by the way, on the weekend. They, I thought they scrapped it out against Brisbane the week before in that draw. Yep. So I think yeah, they've been here before, so I'm not going to say. But the, the, they have started to to put the best, close to their best team and some players we hadn't seen have finally yeah. got on the park and, and strung two games together. Yeah. Look, if not in, three. Yeah, individually their back line. Uh, they're players with great potential. I think Jacob Melling, uh, uh, Chapman, uh, Ivan French is a is a you know is well, a player with pedigree. Yeah, he's weeks. only coming back now, and of course Jack Clisby on the other side. Uh, collectively, I think they're 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 re- very young and probably don't know each other all that well. And so there's there's always even though they won five one, there were, there were one or two opportunities that pressed. Uh, Perth got because of the lack of cohesion back there. So I think mm. they've got some work to do there. But really, they're attacking threats uh, with Moy and uh, Navio and Fornarelli and these sort of guys. A, a big a big shout-out to Corey Gamero, though. I mean, the guy, after a long, long time out of the game with injury last season, did his ACL again in the last game, and he's out for another 12 months. And he's a kid with enormous potential. And I sort of started liking what he was doing when he was getting a run of games for City too. So uh, I wish him all the best because he's a great young gun, uh, but just needs a, a bit of luck. Should we be um, uh, uh, savouring the moments that we see Aaron Moy playing? Because he yeah. probably won't be here once the transfer window opens. Yeah, I, look, I, I know that his agent is fielding a lot of inquiries at the moment. And he's a sort of player, if you just watch him play, you can probably pick him out of the A-League and put him into some really uh, you know, um, uh, sophisticated, yeah, sophisticated European sides. And I'm not saying he'd go into the top sides, but he certainly could play... You know, with his style of football in a place like Spain, a place like Italy, even you know, in in uh, in the right environment in England, you could probably play Germany. These sort of places, he's just such a ball player, uses yep. such vision, uh, and he uses the ball so well, and he's just a winner. I mean, he, he actually, even his tackling and his uh, combativeness is is up there too. So he's clearly the best player in the A League at the moment.